The April 20th Mindful Parenting Retreat Day is filling up fast. Join me and other parents in Wilmington, Delaware for a day of rest and relaxation, mindfulness and mindful communication practices, and a live podcast too. And my special guest for the live podcast is, drumroll please, Lynetta Willis. You know her from episode 366 and 400. She is a psychologist and sought-after speaker who teaches her Triggered to Transformed program to struggling parents. Join us and bring a friend to this powerful day-long retreat in Wilmington, Delaware on April 20th, 2024. But hurry, space is limited. Go to mindfulmamamentor.com slash retreat to get your spot now. That's mindfulmamamentor.com slash retreat. If you constantly kind of shoo a child away from something, over time, they will begin to learn that the task is not for them. You know, if you tell a child, I got to finish cleaning the dishes, go play, go play with Legos, go watch TV. You know, eventually over time, they will learn that my role in the household is to watch TV. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 350. Today, we're talking about how to get your kids to help with Michaeline Duclef. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confidence. Hey, thank you, dear listener, for signing on to the Mindful Mama podcast today. This is such an amazing episode. But listen, before we dive in, if you haven't done so, hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you've ever gotten any value from this podcast, please do me a favor. Go over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and review. It just helps the podcast grow more. It takes 10 seconds of your time. And I really, really greatly appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. In just a moment, I'm going to be sitting down with Michaeline Duclef, NPR's Science Desk correspondent and author of New York Times bestseller, Hunt, Gather, Parent. And I loved this book and I loved talking to Michaeline. And this episode is for you. If you ever wished your child would help more around the house, right? Like, did you want that? I do. So Michaeline shares secrets from indigenous cultures that can teach us about how to raise helpful children. She talks about some of the mistakes we make in Western cultures and how some indigenous cultures have like really cracked the code in a couple different ways that are incredible. This is going to really blow your mind this episode, I think. So I want you to listen for some important takeaways, how involving children when they're little will motivate them to help more, how boredom is not bad for children, and then the constant, you are always, always modeling behaviors. I know, I say that all the time, but it's so true. But this is a powerful episode. I'd love to hear your takeaways, and I can't wait for you to listen. So join me at the table as I talk to Michaeline Duclef. As I've already told you, I loved your book, Hunt, Gather, Parent. It's really fascinating. There's so much great information. Um, when you were your uh, when your daughter was a toddler, you were having like a lot of difficulty. And I would love for you to just tell us what it was like for you then, because it's so helpful for us to realize we're not alone in the like crazy of our that those years. Yeah. 
I mean, so first of all, I do want to say that Rosie, my daughter, she is a really like amazing kid in many ways. Like I don't want to, you know, throw her under the bus. She is (laughs) too much. She's incredibly smart and strong. Like I say, you know, she's like built like an ox, like physically, mentally, you know, she's really has so many qualities that parents would want, you know, but what comes along with it is this like persistence and strong will and just, you know, high emotions, high energy, high intensity. And when she was from day one, she's been like that. And, but when she was a toddler, she started having a lot of tantrums, you know, we're talking about one or two a day. And I just felt like anything I did kind of made them worse, really made them worse. And I would read the New York times, I would read books and blogs and, and I would try these things. And what would end up happening is that she would get worse. And then I would eventually get angry and start yelling. I mean, I mean, horrible, right? Yelling at a two-year-old, horrible. Um, And eventually, you know, she would end up like hitting me, biting me, kicking me. And um, it was such a struggle that, like I say in the book, like I would lay in the bed in the mornings, just kind of dreading her waking up and like dreading my time with her. And my husband and I were kind of hopeless, to be honest. We really felt like either we just didn't know what we were doing, or there was just this disconnect between us and, and her. And and it was just going to kind of get worse as she got older. And yeah, it was, it was kind of a really horrible period in her lives, to be honest. I mean, I can relate to everything you're saying. Cause I've, I've definitely felt all of those things like dreading, like, oh my God, I have to go back to my child's is so difficult and all this. And you were given some pretty, some interesting advice from your pediatrician. I just like read this advice from the pediatrician. I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> is that like to just walk away or just leave her alone? That was, I forget. it was I like, mean, you're the, yeah, it was like, walk away. There was like, you know, there was just a, a bunch of things. Where was it? The pediatrician. Yeah. There I was, I mean, to me, it was always too, like this idea of like, you know, being a firm, but gentle. I don't know. It was just this yeah, weird yeah. kind of combination thing. I kept trying to be right. Like firm, but gentle. And like this, I was trying to use this voice that I kind of, I don't know, it was a very performative thing that I was trying to do. And um, eventually it just would not work. And then all all this anger would come out of my body, (laughs) you know, which is the way I was treated as a kid, right? It was like, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of anger, a lot of yelling and Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, me too. And I love the, like your answer to this, like my answer, this was like, oh my God, I need to like learn some things. And your answer was like, oh my God, I need to learn some things. But you are, you know, a a correspondent on NPR science, science desk. So you were like, let me go and you go to the source. So tell us, tell, tell me the story about where you went first. Yeah. So I was actually not trying to learn how to be a better parent on this trip, but NPR had sent me to this little tiny Maya village in the Yucatan, about two hours from Cancun, kind of there nestled in, in um, the tropical rainforest there. And I was going for, to do a story about attention, actually. There's been some interesting studies that Maya kids have better attention in certain situations than European American kids. And I was really trying to figure out what was going on with this. But when I got there, um, I met a couple of parents, a couple of moms that really just like shifted my whole sense of what parenting was in the span of like, three days, essentially, um, these, these moms had a completely different relationship with their children than I had ever seen in, in, in San Francisco, where I was living, how I'd ever been raised myself. Um, first of all, there was very little bickering, arguing. There was no yelling. There were, you know, there was no resistance is what I, mm-hmm. I wrote down in my notebook. And I kept thinking like, 
the children aren't resisting the parents and the parents aren't resisting the children. And like I say in the book, like my way of parenting was like this white knuckle ride on a cat five rabbit. You know, it's loud, it's dramatic. There's a lot of talking energy and the Maya moms in, in this village, like if I felt like I was on this slow, gentle river, kind of meandering through this valley. And, um, and yet the kids were incredible. They, you know, they were, they were kind to their siblings. They were generous. You know, I saw kids share potato chips with their little siblings without being asked. And they were incredibly, incredibly helpful. So one morning I was with, with Maria de Los Angeles. I was in her kitchen and we were chatting and her 12 year old daughter was on spring break and she woke up around 10, 30, 11, walked past me and her mom and started washing the dishes from breakfast that morning. Nobody asked her, Oh my you know, God. there's no church chart on the wall. <laughs> she wasn't getting an allowance. I mean, and Maria wasn't really surprised at all. She was like, you know, she's 12 and she should know what to do. Um, she said, you know, she doesn't do it every day, but she should know by now. And I left there really just actually for the first time feeling hopeful, like, Maybe my problems with, like, I couldn't even walk out the door in the morning without Rosie hitting me. And here this mom had, you know, three daughters who were incredibly kind and helpful with each other. And I realized, like, maybe it's not, maybe it's not me or Rosie, but maybe it's my culture. Like, maybe it's, it's my culture hasn't taught me this, the best, easiest way to parent. And what I've actually been taught is actually a really hard way to parent and a way that generates a lot of conflict between children and their, and their parents. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fascinating to, to see that. And you talk about like, you know, uh, yeah, the, the parents in the mind parents, like they don't praise them. The kids develop this sense of responsibility. It's really fascinating. And you also talk to, um, so I love how you like dive into it. You're like, let me learn all this about this. And you also talked to David Lancey. He was an anthropologist that we've had on the podcast on episode number 262, dear listener, if you want to go listen again. And he talked to us in, on the mindful mama podcast about why we're so weird, but maybe yeah. you can give us like, uh, a, a, a quick, like recap, like what you saw about us when you looked at us through the lens of other cultures. Yeah. So after I got back from the, that trip to the Yucatan, I started to read <clears throat> actually one of David's books, um, anthropology of childhood. And I started to really understand that this, this parenting approach that I that, that's in the Yucatan is actually really common around the world. Um, you can go to Tanzania, to Malaysia, you can go really every con livable continent and find this approach. And what is actually weird is the way we parent and we are really the outliers. And we do, David enumerates about 50 things that we do that you really can't find anywhere else in the world. And many of those things we kind of take for granted. We think they're kind of universal or you, you know, every parent has to do them. And if you don't do them, you're not a good parent. When in fact, like could, nothing could be further from the truth that these things um, aren't universal. They don't, they're not rooted in science. They're not rooted in history. Um, and, but we've kind of been brainwashed in a way to think that we need to do them. Uh, and, and a lot of them actually make our lives really stressful. And again, cause a lot of conflict between parents and children. You're hearing a theme. A lot about what, yeah, yeah, what's in the book is about minimizing conflict and really teaching a children to cooperate with you. That's really what Maria in the Yucatan had, has done is she's gotten her kids to cooperate with her and work with her as a team instead of being kind of 
um, opposing her and, you know, and being kind of a, a contrarian, which is what I was raising, a contrarian. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've got even got like all the war metaphors for parenting, like we need a united front, you know, all that stuff. So what are some of the things that what are, you know, maybe what are you give us a few examples of the things that David mentioned that are like, causing that we do differently. And when you say we, like Western culture, we're talking like US, Europe, Canada, yeah. Australia, kind of. Yeah, you know, like you, any European kind of ancestry is where mm-hmm. this style of parenting originated, but it has um, a lot of people have documented that it's leaked over into kind of highly developed areas. So, right, if you go into cities in many countries, you will see it, um, you know, so it, it's, the, it's, the, it's the dominant way of parenting in the U.S., but you can, if you kind of move out of your cultural comfort zone, you can find this other approach in the U.S., um, so one of the big things that we do that's really, really strange is that we think that children need to be entertained. And it is our job as a parent to do that entertainment, either actually us doing it. So for instance, when Rosie was little, when I spent time with her, I entertained her. It was either you know, stimulating her by play, you know, teaching her something, sticking a, a screen in front of her, or we outsource that entertainment, right, with classes and sports and activities and parties and these things that anthropologists and psychologists call child-centered activities, things that are made specifically for children and they're kind of separate from the adult or the real world. So this is unheard of in places and unheard of in Western culture until about a hundred years ago. Um, But this has massive numbers of repercussions, um, including a lot of conflict um, because parents can't entertain their children forever. It's very, very high intensity way of parenting and it's exhausting. And so we end up then, you know, relying on screens and, and, and TVs and things, you know, things like that. Um, but the other thing it does is it separates the child from your world and what it, 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 it kind of breaks that team, um, component that I'm talking about when, when, when the child is not entertained and, um, you're not doing, is not constantly in child-centered activities, they start to be interested in what you're doing. And if you let them in, so while you're cooking, while you're cleaning, maybe you're running errands on the weekends, yard work, your hobbies, your own work, if you just kind of leave them alone, but let them be around you, they start to want to do it. They start Mm -hmm. watching, they start asking to be involved. Um, And this is how children learn. This is how children learn that's how Maria's daughter learned to do the dishes, you know, is by being around her when she's doing the dishes, by being part of it and being included in those activities. So this is a huge, huge shift in the way we parent and has massive repercussions. The other big thing, oh, I will yeah. say, point out last thing, yeah, is that we boss, we, we tell, we talk to children all the time and we tell them what to do all the time, like massively. Even if you don't think you're doing it, I guarantee you're doing it way more than most parents yeah. in the world. You know, some healthy skepticism in my life has served me well. And if you're like that, if you can spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from about a mile away, you read labels like it's your job, congratulations, you're a skeptic. And Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds your standards. I take Ritual's Essentials for Women 18+, plus every single day, morning and at lunch. And I am feeling great. I love this vitamin. Rituals Essentials for Women is USP verified, so you know you can trust what you're putting in your body. 
only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark, which shows the product contains the ingredients actually listed on the label. Plus, Ritual Vitamins are vegan, non-GMO, project verified, gluten and major allergen free, certified B Corp, and made traceable. They select lower carbon packaging, they prioritize sustainably sourced ingredients, and set ambitious climate goals. Plus, Ritual is a female-founded B Corp, which means they are responsible to the health of people and our planet. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com mindful. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash mindful for 25% off. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. But you also, you write about this too, but like that, then kids start to see us like that's our job, right? Like they start to see that I'm separate from the rest of the household. I don't have to do the things that everyone else does in the household. And mom and dad, their job is to entertain me, right? Like right. they're like in this special VIP zone in the that's household, right. which is, that's not like, this is, we, we don't even realize we're teaching our kids this, but, but we are teaching us this. And yes, we definitely boss kids around all the time. This is like one of the big um, barriers to communication like that I teach in, in, um, mindful parenting is like this, that, I mean, we just are like, do this, do that. Shoes on, shoes off, come here, go there. Yeah. I'm up, I'm down. Don't do that. You know, it's just like, I tell people like, like, you're two, your world is a a barrage of commands constantly. Oh, constantly. And and, and not just two, right? I mean, like, yeah, yeah. Like, like I tell people, like I accidentally recorded myself one day with Rosie for, I was doing a different assignment and I left the recorder on and I, I actually listened back to it. And that's when I realized like, holy cow, like I am constantly telling this child what to do. And if somebody was doing that to me, it would make me irate. You know, it would make me a ball of anxiety and it would make me really mad. Like stop telling me what to do. And and the other thing I realized was because I was talking so much to her, which is what we're taught to do. The pediatrician. Yeah, that was that. Like your pediatrician. Yes. <laughs> Narrate everything. I'm washing my hands now. I'm talking on the Zoom now. You know, I wasn't listening to her. And she was like, really, she was only like, I think she was only like two when I did this, but I was, she was really trying to tell me things. She was really trying to like contribute. And she was really trying to like make a point. 
And I was just completely not listening. And it was, it was so, it hurt me so much to listen to that tape. I started crying. I was just like, wow, not only am I bossing her around, but I'm not giving her a voice at all. And, you know, and um, hmm. yeah, this has massive repercussions on children and, and the difference. So I tell people like record yourself or count your commands. You know, you can use your phone to record yourself and then go back and count how many times you're telling the child something, whether it's a directive, like do this, don't do this, or feedback. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's the right way. Oh, I love that. Good job, right? Like this is still feedback to the child, right? And it, and um, I did this myself and it was like a hundred and some an hour. It was just like off the charts. And, and I'm not the only one. I, I count like at the park sometimes. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And it's off the chart. And there's actual studies with some groups, some hunter-gatherer groups in, in Africa where a researcher did this. And for kids in this, this one group, it's like two to three an hour. Wow. And when we were in Tanzania, I did it, I did it again with the, fam, the, the moms there. And again, it was like even less than two an hour. And, and the, this is really interesting. The vast majority of the commands are actually requests for help. So, um, you know, hold, go grab the knife or hold the cup or grab the bowl or help, help your, help your sibling. And so the, the parents are actually using these commands to teach the child to be helpful. Um, they're kind of reserving them for that really like important task. And otherwise I want to point out, they're not just ignoring the child. Like it is not at all. Instead, they're watching the child really, really closely to make sure that if they need help, they can step in, you know, to, to kind of see where the child's skill level is, but it's this very attentive observation and something that's something you can't do if you're, if you're constantly talking to the child. It's so fascinating. And, and I love this, like we talk less, right. Um, and the, in the Mayan families, you talk about how they, you could see the sort of this process of how they, help their, their, they sort of train their kids to be helpful. And one thing you point out, which I think is so um, amazing. And it, it, you know, it made me like, oh, this is like one of the only books that made me want to like go back and do some things over, right? Like, I mean, I remember having, was that when kids are little and they want to help, we tell them to go away. Like, right. And yeah. but I, so one Absolutely. of the things we did, like with uh, my second daughter, Sora, I had figured some things out and like, she now is 12 and cooks all this mm. stuff. Like she wakes mm. in the morning. Sometimes she cooks like sautés some mushrooms and garlic wow. and like a scrambled <laughs> egg and avocado. Like it looks like some celebrity, like chef's breakfast that she's made herself for breakfast. And I'm, and then as I was reading your book, I was like, oh, when she was little, we had this stool. I had mm. her cut things with the little wavy knife we you know we did all these things like we we included her a lot so tell us about this process I was like oh at least like in the kitchen we got this down but <laughs> and it's never too late I think this yeah. is one of the first questions people ask me I was like does it work for teenagers I'm like it yeah. works with adults I have used <laughs> it on adults in our household and not in our household and um and it has definitely worked um so yeah, so there's studies actually in the lab that show that, you know, if you constantly kind of shoo a child away from something uh, over time, they will begin to learn that 
the task is not for them. And like you, you talked about with entertaining that they're, you know, if you tell a child, you know, I'm, I'm I got to finish cleaning the dishes, go, go play, go play with Legos, go watch it. TV, um, you know, eventually over time, they will learn that my, my role in the household is to watch TV, is to, is to play, is to study, is, you know, whatever that task is. Um, now, if you do the opposite and you, and you include them in that, in your ta- in the task that you're doing, or even just not chew them away, just let them be there. Really, children just need to be around you when you're doing it. They learn without you teaching them. There's tons of data on that. Um, that over time, they will see that, oh, this is part of my job. This is part of my role and purpose in the family is to, you know, come help with dinner, come clean up after dinner, do the dishes, do the laundry. So one of the researchers told me, you know, this is a, they use a very sophisticated form of inclusion in tasks. And, it, and you know, part of it is just letting the child be there, not shooing them off. And another part is including them in very small things that they can do um, very quickly and easily. So I, I figured this out because I was giving Rosie way too big of tasks. I would be like, you know, load the dishwasher, clear the, or set the table even, you know, set the table or like, you know, clean, clean the living room, these huge tasks to, for a three-year-old. Um, and then the Hadzabe moms in Tanzania really showed me that, it's, whoa, that's not it at all. It is handing Rosie a fork or two, you know, and not, you know, depending on the age and saying, put these forks on the table, right? Or she's in the kitchen with me handing her, you know, some, some cilantro, cut the cilantro, stir the, stir the pot. Um, you know, even just when we're cleaning up the living room, I hand her a book, put this book away, right? So these very tiny, tiny little tasks that the child can do very fast. Then there is, and, and get it done and meets their skill. Um, and then they feel like they're contributing. They're like, oh, I put those mm-hmm. forks on the table. That's all they need. It needs to be small. It needs to be doable. And it needs to be real. So it's, it's not fake. And what will happen is over time, just that involvement will motivate them to want to help more. And the tasks will get bigger and bigger. Right. And so, you know, now Rosie can really set the whole table, you know, after years of like forks and plates and and things like that, you know, um, and this is this is really how every culture around the world, besides European culture, teaches children mint skills. So, like up in the Arctic, children learn to hunt. You know, they learn to fish. They learn to clean, butcher animals. This way, starting at a very early age, being around the parents and 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 having these little little tasks tasks to do, and they really can't be too small. When we were up, when we were in Tanzania. I really learned this because the moms would do this to me. Like whenever we did anything, they would stick a baby on me, <laughs> on my back, you know, like you're carrying this baby, you know, and then they, and they wouldn't ask, will you carry a baby? They just stuck the baby on my back and then they handed Rosie something to carry. So every time we went somewhere, we were, we were contributing, we were part of the team. And that's what gives that child that feeling like, oh, I, I, I'm useful and I'm needed and I'm connected to this person that loves me and that I love. And I think in a lot of ways, that's what a lot of kids are missing in, in America is this, this feeling of like, I'm part of this team and, and, and I'm useful. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky, 
wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So, join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts, starting in January. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking It. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Yeah. Yeah. That purposefulness. It's so crazy. Cause like, as you describe this, like every part of me is screaming like, duh, you know, like (laughs) this, some of the best truths that we get are the ones where we're like, duh, we should have known this, you know, like this makes so much sense. Like, of course we start with teeny tiny tasks, but somehow it's been, you know, it's been kind of like trained out of our culture and, you know, in the sort of consumer culture of Mm. like, there's a lot of money to be made selling products for kids and and telling us that we need to entertain kids. Whereas really it's brilliant for kids to be bored because a, they're like so creative, but then also then they're interested in our lives. And then when I can hear like, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of listeners might think, well, it's going to take me so long yes. to like have dinner when you have a kid around. And that's probably true, but that's like, it's kind of like, you know, that investment in this early work, like the investment in the early, you know, I, I talk about like how to tame our temper and things like that. And some of that investment in the early work, like it just pays off so and huge dividends down the line. Right. And, and yeah. so I'm imagining you would probably have the same response to like that investment of time when your kid is younger is just going to like pay off hugely down the line. Yeah. I mean, you know, and people, and I feel this way, right? Like I'm rushed in the morning. It, you don't have to do it every meal or, yeah. you know, it just even a couple times a week can be, make a huge difference. And it, I mean, think about how much it is, right. You know, one or two meals a week over a course of a child's lifetime, that's a huge amount of training, you know? And so it's like, I tell people like, start off with a weekend breakfast or a weekend dinner and just be like, you know, can't just leave that count, cal- that calendar space open. And, the, hmm. and the, the activity is making the meal together and cleaning up the meal together. And like, that's enough for every child in the world when it's with their parents and with the people they love, their family, you know? And, and I said, it's like, you know, it to a lot of cultures, teaching a child to, to cook and clean and help and, and contribute is just as important as like piano lessons, you know, or, or, you know, art class more important in a way. And so they make a little bit of time in the week or a lot of time sometimes in the week for kid, for, for the family, for the kids to do these tasks together. Um, And another thing I'll point out is when a child is scheduled, there's some really interesting studies on this, 
haven't gotten much attention, but when a child is scheduled kind of constantly and doesn't have that free time and that boredom, they miss out on the opportunity to learn how to take initiative, Mm -hmm. how to plan their activities, how to sit there and decide like, what am I going to do next? you know, what's next in my life? What's next right now? Should I go do my homework? Should I go outside and play? And this is a skill that that people have to learn how to do and a skill that I use every day in my job. And when kids are allowed kind of that free time and that boredom, they develop this skill and they're much more likely to do things voluntarily, their homework, they're much more likely to take initiative at school. And, And so, you know, by scheduling kids all the time and not leaving some room open, we are miss, kids are missing out on some skills. And David Lancey has actually documented some of the skills in, in some of his recent work, which is really interesting. Oh, interesting. I'll have to get some notes on that after because <laughs> I'm working on book number two right now. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, and I mean, like, for instance, the skill of learning through observation, he yeah. talks a lot about. It comes from being with adults and, and simply watching, you know, being with quiet adults. And he's documented the loss of this skill um, over time with children. Yeah, no, I mean, cause kids aren't observing anything, you know, like I have to like, you know, especially if they have a device, like they're not observing anything except that device they're, you know, it's, it's amazing. The shifts in the world. Um, but that's a whole other, that's a whole other, all right. So you, then we went to the Maya, you like learned all this stuff. Then you went to Inuit families, which I think is so fascinating. And, uh, you know, I've had people tell me like, it's good for them to yell at their kids because, mm. which I completely disagree with because it like sends off our fight, flight or free, you know, it's like kids stress response is the same as parents stress response, but this is, you know, huge in our culture is our temper, you know, the conflict the yelling is a big thing I had to deal with. Like I, when my daughter was two, I was like ashamed of my yelling and yeah, scaring her. And, um, and the Inuit have a whole, like they have a whole big thing going on around this, like calmness. So can amazing. you tell us a little bit, bit about this? <laughs> I love this. Um, yeah. The golden rule up there, you talk, you know, I've, I've talked to like, I don't know, a hundred elders and up there. And the golden rule of parenting is that you never yell at a child. And I mean, you don't yell at people in general. Adults, a mature adult doesn't yell in Inuit culture and only children really yell, um, but you would never yell at, an, at a child. And they see it as just this most unproductive thing ever, you know, that they'll tell you over and over again, you're teaching children to yell, you're teaching them to not listen, they stop listening, they'll tell you like, you know, European white people's kids don't listen because the parents yell, they'll tell you all these things. And, um, and, and I started to kind of, oh, this is what I needed. <laughs> this was, you know, this was my, my really, my weakness was yelling in my temper. And, you know, I was not able to control my anger at all um, before writing this book. Um, and I'll tell you, I'm 45 and I am able to control it really well now. <laughs> so very, you know, old dogs can learn new tricks. Um, but, but what the parents really up there t- taught me was that it's, there's a couple things going on. One is it's not about controlling the anger once you have it. This is really hard to do that once you're angry, stopping it, like psychiatrists, neuroscientists will tell you, this is really hard. And yet we mm-hmm. expect kids to do it. You know, we expect mm-hmm. this angry toddler to just stop, right? Um, but really it's about having less anger towards your children from in the first place. 
Um, and that takes a couple of things. The, one of the key things is shifting your perception of their behavior and their motivations. So mm. a lot of the elders will tell you, first of all, expect children to misbehave. All children misbehave. It is, and the younger they are, the more they're going to do it. And it's not personal at all. And, and, and why would you get angry? This is just what kids do, you know, number one. Uh, so you expect really bad behavior. Um, and then number two is we often think that children are motivated kind of by these very kind of nefarious things. Mm. Like we think that they're manipulating us. We think they want to push boundaries. Um, you know, even when my, my Rosie was a little baby, my sister said, oh yeah, she's already knows how to manipulate you. <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh yeah, she knows how to manipulate. You know, she was like six yeah. months old or something, right? This is what we think. Um, and I actually said this to one of the, the moms um, in Nunavut in, in, in the Arctic, and she just laughed at me. She was like, she's not pushing your buttons. She's two years old. Like, uh, you know, she doesn't know how to do that. And there's no data supporting this. This is a complete myth. These pushing buttons, manipulating, testing boundaries, complete myth, cultural myth that we've created. But what it does is it makes us angry at them, right? I don't want my buttons pushed. I don't want to be manipulated. It makes me on the defense and it makes me mad. So in many cultures, parents actually see children as these irrational, illogical creatures that don't have reason or understanding, but their motivations are good. They want to help. They want to be kind. And there's actually good data to support that little kids want to help. And that's actually probably closer to the truth than what we think. Um, they just don't know how yet. And they're really clumsy and really terrible and they don't have control of their emotions. And so it's your job to show them right? That like, if they're upset and angry and hitting you, there's a, there's a, a, a part in this book, Never in Anger by Jean Briggs, which I cite a lot. She's up in the Arctic and she, the mom is getting hit in the face with spoons by this like three-year-old. And the mom is not even like perturbed by it at all. And she's just like, the child has no understanding. She has no reason. And that's all she says. And so it's this idea that like, if a child is getting angry at you, it's not personal. They're just this illogical, irrational creature. And so why would you argue with them? They're irrational, they're illogical. Instead, you show them. You show them how a person will respond and how a person behaves. And you do that by being incredibly calm, mm. by saying nothing, by lowering the energy. You take the energy out of the, out of the behavior, out of the moment. Mm -hmm. And what that does is it has an incredible effect upon children, upon Rosie. Like I saw it, like these, the Inuit parents up there would just, Rosie would be like full on tantruming and the mom would just go over to her very calmly. Her voice would be down. She'd point up to the sky, maybe see, see the beautiful clouds up there, Rosie. Like just an incredible calm state. And immediately Rosie would just like, look at her like, you know, and stop. <laughs> and I was like, holy cow, like I'm doing the complete opposite, right? I'm talking to her a lot. Do you want this? What's wrong? Are you okay? Like, my, you know, like her, raising the energy. Exactly. I'm putting more energy into the system and, and Rosie's just coming up there with me, right? Like her emotions mm -hmm. are just matching mine. And what I needed to do, it's not ignoring her. There's no ignoring, you know, they see this, like if you ignore older children, you can ignore, you know, once they already know this, you can ignore it. But these little ones, they need to see and feel how to bring their energy back down. Mm -hmm. And they do it just by you being there calm and quiet and, 
And I, and I have to say, it took a couple months for me to learn to do this when Rosie's, you know, hitting me or was yeah. hitting me. Yeah. Um, but once I started to do it, it was incredible how fast she stopped. And, and what you, what you learn is that this, you're not stopping them yourself. You're not forcing them to stop. They're, mm-hmm. they're finding that response in, in themselves. And so they learn to regulate themselves over time. And, and I actually, this is going to sound crazy, but I actually started thinking of like her tantrums as this like a great opportunity for her to calm herself down mm. and practice calming herself down. And so I stopped getting angry about them. It's like, oh, here's this opportunity. We're going to calm, we're going to calm down again. She's going to calm down again. And, and it works. It really, it absolutely works. It's, it's so brilliant. And I just want to like, underscore what you said as you started talking about this that it's not about controlling anger that has already risen it's about having less anger to begin with and I think that this key I mean that's a key is that mindset of I mean like I can imagine you know we assume nefarious intention like we assume bad intention and that's just the way, you know, that's just the, our cultural soup, right? That mm-hmm. we just assume bad attention and to have a completely different assumption about kids is going to take some practice and training, but like it, it, to, to have a completely different assumption of, of your, you know, not really capable, you're a little cray cray, you're, you're, you right. know, you're learning, you're trying, your you're trying. Developed, you're trying. Right? Yeah. you know, like, but you have good intentions is it really just takes a lot of the power out of it. But I mean, absolutely like this whole idea that we're going to yell at a child to calm down. I mean, of course that's bananas and and completely hypocritical. And to think that we're going to say, Hey, you, you calm down when I'm having like this crazy temper tantrum, that's nuts. You know, it has to be us that uses our, our fully developed brain to, to regulate our feelings. And then our kids can kind of borrow our calm. They can see it. They can see, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. It's not about any kind of explicit teaching at all. It's about what, how is it that modeling, right? It's like, how are we doing it? Right. Yeah. It's the feeling, right. They, I mean, they are so tuned to our emotions, right. And, and they, there's a lot of data, right. Their emotions and their energy just mirrors ours. Right. And Mm -hmm. if you want a child to stay high energy, then keep talking to them and (laughs) like even good talking, right. Even like, are you okay? What's wrong? You know, it's still very high energy and, and, and stimulating for especially a young child. And, you know, if like sometimes our, our house will get really kind of high energy and everyone's kind of like getting upset and I'll just say, okay, we're going to have 10 minutes of silence. We're all going to be quiet. 10 minutes go, you know, not now. And Rosie will keep talking. And sometimes my mom will keep talking and like, you know, everyone, would, but I just am quiet and calm and a minute or so into it, they join me. And um, 10 minutes later, we are all feel better. We all feel like, mm. like Rosie and me and my mom and we just we we need more quiet in our lives. We just have too much energy, you know. Um, the other thing I will say is is a, a big component of it, and I talk less about this in the book, but is learning to value devalue anger, right? So there's a lot of data that says that like if you value an emotion and you think it's productive, so if I think getting angry at Rosie is going to help, I will choose that emotion and I will choose that my brain will go to that emotion. 
But if I start to devalue it, like the way the Inuit culture really devalues it, they think that anger is like this very unproductive emotion, then you will be less likely to choose it and you will be more likely to choose something else. And, um, and so I just started saying to myself when Rosie was really upset or saying out loud to my husband, like, she doesn't mean it. She's trying. She's just a, she's just a kid. She doesn't have understanding. So saying that and then saying like getting getting angry at her is going to make it worse mm-hmm. and just reminding myself that it's going to make it mm-hmm. worse. It's going to make it worse because I've seen it make it worse. Right. Mm-hmm. And and so I think that's a big component of it as well is just just really kind of believing that kind of shifting the belief that like getting angry is really not going to do any good, do us any good. Um, that's the, to me that uh, those have been the two pieces of the, the puzzle. The third piece is practicing the other emotions, which I can talk about, but it, that is a very powerful tool. So when you're not angry, you're not upset, practicing the emotion you want to have gratitude, awe, calmness, you know, there's a lot of new neuroscience mm-hmm. that shows that if you practice these emotions, you know, at other times they're easier to pull when you're, when you're upset or when you, you want to be angry, you can, I, I, I tell this story that Rosie and I were driving to school one morning and, and we had had this horrible morning, you know, where like nobody was getting ready. We couldn't find anything. It was just, you know, how it is. It was really bad. And I was really close to getting angry to her and, and like really wanting to yell at her. And we were in the car and I looked up and I saw the full moon and I was just full with awe because Rosie and I practice awe every day. And I was like, Rosie, the moon, look at the moon. And, and, and just in that moment, like all of the anger that I had and all the upsetness that she had, it just disappeared because we, we replaced it with awe. And, and that comes from like a year, two years of practicing awe. Um, but it's a really powerful tool. I teach parents to meditate, right? Like I teach us to practice calm, practice peace, practice, you know, even if your brain's going bananas, practice being non-reactive, right? Practice being still and non-reactive. And that's a muscle you build. And then you have that muscle when you want it in those moments, right? I love that idea of practicing awe. Um, Yeah, my daughter the other day, she was like, look at the look at that forsythia. It's so beautiful. And I had just been kind of in my head and I was like, yes, like, I love that. Like you're seeing this beautiful forsythia. Like that's amazing. Um, I love that you, well, you mentioned your mom, right? So you (laughs) grew up, I imagine like, this is probably radically different from the way you grew up. Yeah, it Uh, is radically. (laughs) (laughs) Did you and your mom's helping you with Rosie? Clearly, yeah, like she's around the household. Yeah. Yeah. So, what have the conversations with your own parents been like? And have you, as you've done this work and written this book, because it's really interesting? Because, like, I, I mean, just to be fully transparent here, right? My my mom listens to like most of these podcasts. She's read my book. My, you know, a lot of my, you know, I've had my my anger really a lot of it comes from like a habit from my dad. Right. And I love my dad. He's an amazing person, super creative, really supportive, but he hasn't been able to read my book yet. Like, you know, and it's really (laughs) interesting. It's been over two years. Anyway, I'm just saying it's an audio book too. Um, but like, what, what's that like? What, what were those conversations like for you and your family? Yeah, it's something I've thought about a lot, especially with my husband too, right? Because he didn't experience these trips, these travels that Rosie and I did. Um, 
you know, I think I've just been trying to, to use the same skills in the same tools with Rosie as with them, right? It's a really, you know, a big part of this book is not forcing things, right? It's about encouraging and guiding and kind of seeding ideas and getting kids to think, right? Like asking questions and, um, and, and I think that's what I've been doing with them too. I might not be as patient with them, especially my mom, but, but like, I've been trying to like get them to think, you know, like, like telling my mom, like, you know, getting angry at her, it's just going to get make it worse you know I'll like say that to her you know I'll say the same things to her and sometimes with my my, my husband I'll tell him to read chapter six <laughs> just be like, could you just read chapter six you know or but just trying to be patient and this you know and just kind of using the same so in the book I talk a lot about training children and a lot of cultures do talk about training kids you have to train them these are skills helping is a skill just like math or science reading is a skill that you know, controlling your emotions, executive functions are skills and parents intentionally train the kids, but teach the kids these skills, um, just like we do math and reading. You know, we think that the kids kind of naturally learn these things, but they're skills. And, um, and really it's through modeling, showing, you know, and having, make sure, making sure the kid is around you when you're doing them, these skills, um, and then giving opportunities to practice, right? And, and, and I think it's the same with, with, the, with the adults. So when I was first writing this book, I was like, you know, my husband and I don't really help each other around the house. You know, like we argue over who's going to do the dishes, who's going to do the laundry. Like, how am I going to get Rosie to want to do these things and be part of a team if my husband and I aren't, right? And and so what I realized, like, I just have to use the same tools with adults. And and, and I use the tools, like, you know, I, I, I get them to come into the kitchen with me while I was cooking, and then I give them small little tasks. And, you know, so it's a very gentle kind of, way of kind of guiding people without them really realizing you're telling them what to do or you're you're trying to change them um and it, it totally worked like in six months he was cooking and cleaning and you know so so I would say it, it, it's the same it's respecting people's autonomy and their their need to make the choice and 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 to think and but giving them some ideas and gently kind of a gentle constant pressure I love that. And I, I love that you brought up the idea and, and the idea of not forcing too, because we didn't really highlight that, you know, like how, you know, in these very helpful households, it, it's something that's encouraged. It's something that's right. asked gently, but it's not something that's forced, right? Never, never. In fact, parents will tell you that will go, that will make a child not want to do it. Yeah which is really hard, right? It's really hard for me. Like, Rosie, can you do this? Can you grab this for me? And she's like, no, and walks away. And like every like cell in my body wants to get angry at her, right? Because that's, we've kind of taught that the child's not respecting you or, yeah. you know, I don't know, all these things go through your head, right? But you you really have to resist the urge to, to force it um, because it will backfire and it will make them hate the task because I don't like to be forced to do things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the book gives you a bunch of tools to encourage it and like, and, mm -hmm. and really kind of motivate the child. Um, it's really motivating the child, right? Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of examples I can give, like, mm -hmm. even just a couple of days ago, we were, Rosie was painting some bowls that she had created out of clay or something. She has them, you know, the most amazing things. And, and my husband wanted her to, to um, paint them on a, a cardboard box or, you know, put something down so she wouldn't get paint on the porch. And she kept, he kept telling her this. And then, and then I said, you know, Rosie, I think if you put something underneath them, it won't scratch them. 
<laughs> you know, it won't hurt, you know, it'll, it'll preserve the, the pots better. And then she just went over and got the cardboard and stuck it under, right? And it was, so it's like, it's true, right? It would protect the pots. It's protecting the porch, but it's also protecting the pots. And so see, it's about kind of seeing what she wants and where she's going and her kind of vision and then joining, joining in on that with my own vision, right? And like, you know, it's subtle, right? But it's, um, it's highly effective. Yeah, and, and you have a lot of ideas in here, like for all those like everyday sort of things that we need to do, like get out of the house in the morning and like go to bed at night and, yeah. um, and working with that child, your kids need for autonomy, not forcing, but working with that. Um, anyway, there's, yeah. there's a lot there. Um, I love this book. It's so great. Oh yeah. The steps to training child. I just want to just share, you have like kind of one, two, three thing, which I just like love to like kind of leave the listener with. Yeah. And, and I realize it's like every culture does this and we do it too. And it, it, I challenge the listener to go and like figure out two things you're training your child with this formula <laughs> because mm. there are things that you're tra- that I realized I was training Rosie to do that I didn't realize I was training her to do mm. um so so the things are modeling right so what how, how are you handling the situation or how are you um executing the skill so for instance when you're yelling at a child what are you modeling right mm-hmm. um and then the second thing is giving the child opportunities to practice so if you want a child to learn a skill you, first of all, make sure you're modeling it. So sharing, for instance, you know, are we, am, am, I, am I sharing? You know, do I share my food? Do I share the things I get? Am I, are, are the families that we're around, do they share? You know, is it, if we are having a picnic at lunch, do they share their food? Or is everybody's, you know, possessive, right? So what are people around the child modeling? And then opportunities to practice. How do you give a child opportunities to practice sharing? Well, you give them some cookies and you say, hey, go, sh- go get these to your friends. Or let, let's go, let's, let's pick out a toy that, that you, that you like and go give it to a friend, right? So you actually set up very intentional opportunities to practice mm-hmm. the skill and then you acknowledge it. You don't need to praise it and say, oh, good job. You're amazing. You're, you can just say like, yeah, that's sharing. That's generous. That's a big girl. That's mature. All kids want to be big. They all want to be mature. And so attaching it, and it, it to, to maturity, this is a really common, um, tool in many cultures, like touching mature behavior, telling the child that like, oh, that's a big girl. You know, you shared like a big girl. Um, And so it's really those three steps. So um, making sure you're modeling it and the people around them are modeling it, um, providing opportunities to practice. And, you know, it can also be practicing through play, you know, setting up a puppet show, setting, reenacting events. Rosie and I will do some cultures would do lots of like reenactments with kids. Like, okay, you hit your little brother, let's reenact that and and practice doing it differently. So you can practice Mm -hmm. these really kind of very creative ways and then acknowledging it somehow, just pointing out the value of it, that I'm valuing it for you. Um, And so, yeah, I realized that like we're yelling at Rosie, I'm modeling yelling, I'm modeling anger. I'm giving her a lot of practice at anger. (laughs) And by just, you know, really, enforcing it by doing it over and over again every day you know I'm acknowledging it over and over again with a huge amount of attention and so I was just teaching her completely the opposite of what I wanted which was you know calmness and in thinking before you react and 
So I was also teaching her not to be generous, you know, which I didn't realize. Um, There's just a lot of things, not being helpful, arguing about doing the dishes. I mean, there's just a tons of things that we, that I was doing that was really the opposite of what I wanted to do. I love this. Um, Michaeline, you're giving everyone, I know so much food for thought here. Um, yeah, um, I, there's so much here. Um, I really love Hunt, Gather, Parent. Go find it wherever bookstores are, wherever bookstore you want to go find it at. But I, th- I think it's really a worthwhile book. Um, if the listener wants to find, uh, wants to reach out and talk to you more about what they want they've discovered where can they find you yeah so i'm on twitter at at foodie science that is my handle but you can also email me and i think we're trying to get to we're trying to people have been asking for like a facebook group or some more resources so we're we're trying to get together a podcast hopefully in the next year but that will have um hopefully a facebook group and maybe a newsletter too um and i would also just say go slow you know it takes these things that are big changes and they take time, but a little bit, a little bit of these things will really, I think really help, help kids and you. Thank you so much for, uh, for a having the balls to go on this amazing journey that you did (laughs) and documenting it all and, and sharing it and, and for writing well and making it interesting and not bad writing and, and, um, and, and for coming on, I, I really enjoyed talking and, and, and sharing this time with you. Oh, thank you so much. It's really, really a pleasure. I'm, I'm such a big fan. So thank you. Wow, what a powerful episode, right? I, there's so much I took from Hunt, Gather, Parent and talking to Michaeline. And I have to report back to you. It's been a little while since I talked to her. And even my oldest daughter, Maggie, last night, she joined me in the kitchen and she chopped some cauliflower. I showed her how to do it. And she, you know, she put the olive oil on it to roast it and salt peppered it and everything. So slowly but surely, it's definitely. So anyway, if you have some takeaways about this and you'd like to share it with me and you want to share your wins, I would love to know. Please do me a favor, share this episode on your Instagram stories. You can take a screenshot of it and tag me at Mindful Mama Mentor. And then when you're there, you might as well follow me there and I'll fill your feed with mindful parenting inspiration. We'll get you some good stuff in there. And listen, you know, I love being able to offer this podcast, but the people I help most are those who join the Mindful Parenting membership. And it's someone asked me recently, you know, why is it different? Can I just read your book? But this is the place where I offer coaching. We, in Mindful Parenting, we offer 36 hours of parent coaching a year. It's kind of amazing. Like if you actually price that out in normal life, like parent coaching is 100 to 200 bucks an hour. So it it's like over easily over $3,500. Pretty amazing. So anyway, if you're interested in mindful parenting and want to get the support you need to really take your parenting to the next level, go to mindfulparentingcourse.com, get on the wait list, and we'll send you some awesome free info and we'll let you know when we open our doors next time. Hey, thank you so much for listening. I'm wishing you peace and ease and some moments of great 
presence and joy with your kids and, and may you really be able to like put that distraction down for a little while, sit in quiet, practice that pause, do those things. They make the biggest difference in our lives. They affect everything, you know? Our, our attention is really our most valuable resource and I really appreciate you sharing some of that attention here and now to water your good seeds. So thank you, thank you so much. I hope you have a great week. Talk to you soon. Namaste. definitely do it it's really helpful it will change your relationship with your kids for the better it will help you communicate better and just I'd say communicate better as a person as a wife as a spouse it's been really a positive influence in our lives so definitely do it I'd say definitely do it it's so worth it the money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I have this. You can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it? who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You will be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist, so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside mindfulparentingcourse.com. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners 
on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.